Welcome to this Talk at Home podcast. This podcast will feature the stories of 40 freelancers and people working from home during the coronavirus crisis. One conversation every day for 40 days. Yeah, so Richard, uh, thank you thank you so much for taking the time and for taking my call. How are you? How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. There's uh, a long list of things to do here, but um, I've got time to do them as long as I'm breathing and not sick. So, so that's, yeah, so, that's a good thing. Yeah. Tell me, where, where are you right now and, and where do you normally live? Like, how, how are you dividing your time between? I know that you are, you have a place in Anchorage, right? But now you're in Colorado. Perhaps? Yeah. Um, I sold the townhouse in Anchorage and I just have the homestead out by the Manitou Glacier. Uh, yeah. So that 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 is my uh, Alaska residence. Uh, but given the political climate up there, of uh, the governor and, and all the the programs that he's cut, he cut the state university budget by forty percent. Uh, although they kind of renegotiated that now, it's a stepwise over a couple of years. But still, it's like there's major cuts to the university, and so it's hard for me to get work up there. It's hard for me to work on projects up there. To get funding to make a difference uh, as well as like the whole ferry system cutting that and the pioneer homes for the senior citizens and just it's a real mess and that was even before oil dropped uh down to 20 dollars a barrel so um until folks really figure out what they uh that they have to start taxing and things like that to run a government it's i don't see that i can make much of a difference so because of that i am down in colorado at my southern uh home base at the windy sl ranch uh, which is in Huerfano County. Um, I'm about 60 miles southwest of Pueblo, up in the foothills, north of the Spanish Peaks, and uh, east of the Sangre de Cristos. So um, I've got uh, the ranch down here and plenty of uh, projects uh, that I work on here. And, and under normal times, I would spend half the week here and then half at uh, Western Colorado University in Gunnison. But right now with the uh, quarantine, um, uh, Gunnison County got hit especially hard early uh, before they really knew what was happening because of there's a, a Crested Butte ski area there. And so a lot of ski tourists, I believe, brought that into the county and it was yeah. spreading silently. And, and, uh, and then Gunnison has become, it varies from time to time, but as high as the fifth uh, uh, highest concentration of COVID-19 on a per capita basis in the country. So um, it's uh, so they shut down. They shut down the university uh, right over spring break, and uh, and shift, shifted to online classes. And so uh, other than one construction project that I got a, a permit from the county health director to go over there and work on a, a solar install, I've been staying here at the ranch and just doing my lectures from here working with students on their projects. Uh, when I was last in Gunnison, I did a data poll on a, I have a bunch of different experiments set up. So I've been doing analysis of that data and uh, uh, and then kind of, now that it's the snow has melted, uh, I've got my summer uh, permaculture uh, plans to work on. It's kind of a 10 year plan to improve soils around here. And, um, and I've got some other projects that I want to work on as well, like building a wallapini. I have some uh, habitat restoration stuff to do. So there's plenty to keep me busy here. And then it's still getting cold enough 
to uh, need to have a fire at night. So I'm still gathering firewood, which has the added uh, benefit of also uh, the, 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 the wood that I harvest, there's some logic to it. So I'm minimizing my fire danger uh, in the summertime. So, um, so it's all kind of uh, a holistic plan for, for the ranch. And, but it did get so lonely. Uh, of my nearest neighbor's about a mile away. I got so lonely that a week ago, I adopted a four-year-old husky mix. And her name is Sunshine. She's okay. sitting right next to me. She's really chill. Um, it's I think she's had a little bit of a rough path, uh, past, but she's uh, she's doing really well here. And uh, I'm also thinking of making her nickname a thousand watts per square meter for any of you uh, any of your listeners that know what the relation that is. To Sunshine. Uh, I'm also I'm always very intrigued and excited to hear. All of the different projects that you have going on since since we met uh, some years ago in Anchorage, I remember you talking about all of these projects uh, in renewable energy and things like that. But I, I had no idea that you were also teaching. What are what yeah. classes are you teaching? So I'm official professor for uh, a class called Science of Sustainability and Resilience, and this is within the School of Environment and Sustainability at Western Colorado University. And then I'm uh, uh, I'm a uh, advisor mentor to a couple of grad students. I'm a technical advisor to more grad students on their projects. And then I guest lecture in a whole bunch of uh, classes of, on uh, different aspects of renewable energy. So I do a freshman level intro to solar and wind for the intro to sustainability class. And then on the policy and politics class, I, talk, I do about three different classes in a row on uh, all the policy layers of policy of utilities and, uh, and grid operators and, and all these other players in, uh, on the electric grid. And then I do a, about a three hour lecture for the environmental monitoring class on how uh, wind projects approach uh, their avian monitoring and, and pre-assessment before they build wind projects. And then uh, what else do I do? Um, I, I know I'm missing um, a, a class or two, but yeah, there's a whole bunch of classes that I'm a guest lecturer on as well. And then um, I mentor other non-environment uh, majors, uh, students on just projects that they want to work on. And so we have um, uh, one uh, student came to me and wanted to uh, re-instrument, put, put an anemometer on top of an old tower that's been sitting off campus for 20 years. And so I said, okay, wind is good. Uh, how about we stop and think in 2040, what are students at this school going to wish we had started collecting today? So we expanded the whole thing to be a envir long-term environmental monitoring station where, yeah, we do wind speed and direction and temperature and, and humidity, relative humidity. But we're also looking at, uh, and then we do like energy production with a pyranometer to measure solar radiance. Uh, but then we have another uh, solar radiance uh, sensor pyranometer pointed straight down. So between the two of those, now we can measure albedo on the ground and know when we have snow cover and when we don't. So that's really handy long term to see what periods of the year uh, will, will we have snow cover and will that change with time. And then we have subsurface sensors where we're monitoring uh, uh, when the ground freezes up and thaws and how moisture uh, infiltrates into the ground, uh, get a profile of that both during the spring snow melt and in summer thunderstorms and, and those kind of things. So 
Uh, it's pretty inclusive. And then we've, we're adding, we're waiting for this instrument to come in, but an air quality monitor to measure uh, uh, for particulate matter, they measure it in PM 2.5 and PM 10, and that's 2.5 microns in diameter and 10 microns in diameter. And for that, we're thinking that will tell us uh, are the impacts of wildfires in the West getting greater or not uh, with time. So wow. we'll be able to monitor that. And then there's real uh, quantifiable health impacts for PM 2.5, surprisingly, not just uh, respiratory. So um so there's good data that we can that, so students both in the school of environment and sustainability and in the physics department and in uh, uh other aspects of campus will be able to use this data long term both in in their classes and then go back and and do analysis over the decades so i yeah, worked well. on that and then gosh there's there's so many projects students come up with it's like all right how can we how can i help guide you on this and 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 uh, and and uh, they all need a little bit of help, but not much. They're pretty self-motivated, and there's just a few things that you got to help uh, them consider. Uh, of them having not had the experience of realizing, hey, you know, if you put this here, you might have a cow come along and eat your sensor, which has happened on some experiments. So, um, yeah, yeah. So those are the those are the things I do to keep me busy on campus. There. Oh, uh -huh. and oh, yeah. What. One other thing that's really uh, key is that a year ago, some students and I started a nonprofit uh, uh, where we take reused solar equipment and put it back into service, but structured in a way that the benefit goes to low-income households in the county. So in the past, to get rooftop solar, you've had to bend middle, upper income to afford that. And that's good, it's, cl it's you know cleaner for everyone, but uh, the people that really struggle, uh, lower-income households actually pay a higher percentage of their uh, of their uh, income in energy uh, because typically they don't have the best quality housing. It's not energy efficient. So we take uh, this reuse equipment, uh, put it at a host site uh, in the county, and then they take the savings from that and it pays for energy efficiency upgrades for uh, low-income households across the county. So. And we're trying to expand that, but so yeah, a lot of things we're working on. But uh, like I said, I, I left Colorado or I left Alaska to come down here because I didn't think I could make a difference. And down here, I'm definitely able to make a difference right now. Yeah, it sounds like you are extremely busy. And now with this situation, I'm guessing you have a little bit more time in your hands. No, uh, I was wondering how are you thinking about or how you see things unfolding both in Alaska and Colorado in terms of the COVID-19 crisis like how are what's environment like over there yeah so uh, Gunnison actually Gunnison County is famous because in the 1918 Spanish flu there was enough advanced warning across the country through uh, the newspapers and telegraph and stuff like that that they knew it was coming and so the county officials literally uh, did a countywide lockdown and even within the county they didn't let people move from like the mining town of Pitkin over to Gunnison they arrested some guy that tried to uh, uh, you know, get around that that quarantine and but like the train that came through if you got off the if you stepped off that train they immediately uh, locked you up put you in quarantine for 14 days or it wasn't 14 days but a certain amount of time uh, so they're they're famous for not having any deaths uh, in the first two 
of, of, of passes of the Spanish flu. I think when the third wave came through, uh, uh, everyone across the country had already eased up uh, and stopped the quarantine, and it was able to catch a hold and, and kill a few people. But for the most part, they were really safe. So the county officials, once we started seeing the, uh, uh, the number of people both testing positive as well as self-reporting um, uh, symptoms, they were pretty aggressive to uh, 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 declare that it was illegal for second homeowners or any visitors to come to town. Uh, if you had exposure to someone, they had specified how long you had to be in quarantine. If you left the county, how long you had to self-quarantine and, and those kind of things. And they like shutting down restaurants and just only keeping the hardware in the grocery store and a few places like that open. Um, so it's we've been longer shut down over there uh, in Wetterfano County, it's, it, it's very low population here as well, but not a lot of people come here and we're, we are spread out pretty well. So we've only seen, I think, two cases confirmed and people are pretty lax about it now. It's like, oh, it's not really a problem. Well, it's just because we, I think because we stopped, we slowed down the spread so well here. And yeah. if people aren't faced with, hey, this guy I know, like in Gunnison, we've had four people die. And, and it's a small enough county that you pretty much know everybody. And so it hits you a little bit more personally uh, on these deaths as opposed to just seeing the statistics in the news. Yeah, yeah, I get it. And is there, is there anything particularly that worries you about uh, the way things are unfolding there in, in where you are or in Colorado in general? Like, what, what is your general sense of the response? It, just to have a feel of it. Like, we, we hear some things on the news, but I would love to hear directly from someone that's over there. Yeah, so I think we're doing pretty well. You still go into the store and see people who aren't wearing masks and gloves. Uh, and so that's worrisome because uh, now I haven't had anyone sneeze or cough on me. Uh, so, so that's good. But uh, it's still at varying levels of people taking it seriously. I think Gunnison is a, is a higher level of, of compliance on that. Um, it's, uh, I do find that uh, there, there's real concern for small business owners, restaurants and places like that, that some of them are able to do takeout orders, but you know, it's hitting them. And I'm sure that a lot of their workforce uh, have not been getting hours at all. So uh, there's real concern for people uh, uh, paying the rent. Uh, I do know some friends of mine, they were already told by their landlord that uh, they could skip April rent. So that was really nice. That was in Gunnison, but not everyone has that luxury. Um, so uh, the fact that uh, things have leveled off because we've slowed the spread, it, it increases the public uh, complaints on social media saying, hey, we should open up. See, it's not a problem anymore. And I think we just have to be very cautious. And even when they do like start opening up for dine-in at restaurants, I doubt I'll be dining in. I'll drop, you know, phone in an order, go in and pick it up and leave kind of thing. But uh, I think we should maintain uh, a fair amount of social distancing for quite a while. Yeah, that, that's a question in everyone's mind. Right? Like, when, when are we going to be, I mean, going back to, to getting out to restaurants or, you know, like I, I have been having some conversations about 
the travel industry and the restaurant industry and like all of those uh, industries and businesses that require people to gather basically yeah. uh, it's gonna be very very tough for them to get back to any sense of normality so yeah, yeah so I, that's you know, a very big one yeah i have friends who are uh, uh part part of their income is from uh being musicians and uh like i would love to see some live music uh and i find i'm really missing that and um so that's i know that's hurting them i have some friends up in alaska that their daytime job is they both work in the travel industry uh uh in one actually for the state tourism bureau another another aspect uh, you know one of the uh, tourism companies and then uh, one of them also is a uh, musician and so he can't do any gigs at places right now so uh they they've they've lost all their sources of income and they have house payment. And so that's really, really stressful for people like that. In Alaska, so much uh, of that income coming in, people very heavily, as well as in Gunnison County, rely on those summer, summer tourism uh, dollars. It's, uh, you know, folks like jokingly like to, or maybe just like a, a, a popular thing to complain about the tourists, but gosh, we really rely on them and uh and and this and, and we knew it all along this just reminds us even more so when you can't have any of the tourists around yeah so uh finally rich um i'd like to finish almost all of these episodes asking one or two questions and they are related to what what do you think are the lessons that we ought to learn from from this situation i i understand that this situation will last probably for longer than we but what do you think are the lessons that we should learn right away from this kind of situation? Uh, I think we're start we're just now starting to become mindful of the uh, society systems that that we rely on. There's the, the obvious ones we think about of oh electricity and stuff like that, but how strong is our food security systems and uh, and all of transportation and what uh, e either what in transportation or what critical supplies other than toilet paper um, would uh, are, are at greatest risk uh, for our everyday lives and and that uh, that might have a detrimental impact on a lot of other factors and I think the the longer if we have like say a second wave and this has to get worse I think we'll uncover a lot more systems that um, that there's weaknesses in uh, here at the ranch I'm pretty con uh, uh, pretty stable, although I can't grow all my food, but I have my electricity, my water, my sewage, those kind of things. But yeah, it's the, the main thing I'm concerned about is what are these other systems and, and then coming out of it, how do we, what do we need to do? Do we need to adopt completely new methods or adopt uh, uh, changes to make these, these critical systems more uh, resilient to these kind of factors? Yeah, yeah, th those are really, really good questions to have in mind to learn lessons from and uh, I really want to thank you Richard for for your time for this thought this, this was fun and very informative as well I hope you you have enough time for all the activities that you're planning to do <laughs> and stay stay safe my friend I will uh, igualmente 